the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, welcome back as we head into Hour 3. It is a delight to bring a new guest onto the show, author of a book that is perfectly timed for the holiday weekend we are about to go into. She is Dawn Duran. D-A-W-N is her first name, Dawn Duran, D-U-R-A-N. And that book, you're going to love the title as I do, A Reasoned Patriotism, Critical Thinking and Civic Duty in an Age of Polarization. Don, welcome to the Airwaves of Phoenix, and thanks for being with us. Thanks so much, Seth. It's an honor to be here. Wonderful to have you. Um, I I should uh, let the audience know we were introduced by a mutual friend who does so much good work on behalf of educating our country and particularly our children with her book series, and that's um, our mutual friend of ours named Bethany Mandel. Who is uh, based out in the um, in in your closer to your neck of the woods than than, than yeah. we are here, Don? As a first time yeah. guest, let me ask you a question. I ask every first time guest, and take as long as you want. Tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, autobiography, however you want to do it, and how you came to be doing what you do now. Okay, sure. Well, uh, not that long of an autobiography, but uh, I'll start with the personal. My husband and I live on a military installation near Washington, D.C., as you said, near our mutual friend, Bethany Mandel. We're here with our two sons and our fabulous dog, Storm, who is the favored child. And I've been homeschooling our sons for the past 10 years, and in the process, fallen back in love with American history, citizenship, and government uh, it's a blessing that in the process of educating my own children, I've been able to redeem my education as well, because my background is actually in the field of health and wellness. I've been a physical therapist for more than 24 years and have been able to use that foundation to do what I always wanted to do, which is to teach. Mm-hmm. So I started teaching in higher education in 2001, and alongside teaching my sons at home, I continue to teach for an online university. So that's me in a nutshell. Wonderful, wonderful. Tell us about this book, A Reasoned Patriotism, Critical Thinking and Civic Duty in an Age of Polarization. First, why you chose to write it. Well, as so many of us have been increasingly more concerned about the polarization taking place in our country, and in particular, it's been disturbing to see the turn that the teaching of history has taken into this ideologically driven revisionist approach that has become the norm in the past several years. And it's alarming to observe the open disdain so many people seem to have for America. And as someone who lives in a military installation who is married to a former soldier, it's quite disturbing. And with this history, revisionist history spreading like wildfire, it's not surprising we've seen these plummeting civic scores and decline in the percentage of people who express pride in being American. There was a recent Gallup poll that was released on that point yesterday. And so these things, along with the deplorable lack of understanding about how our government actually functions by the average citizen, are some of the reasons I felt compelled to write the book. Have you seen, aside from the polling in our politics, a misunderstanding of the word and meaning of patriotism 
perhaps even oh. as you get into it a little bit into your into in the opening of your book, which I which I was privileged to read, uh, these this thing has become political. Uh, something that should not have become political seems to have become political. Absolutely, the whole the terms patriotism and nationalism have been almost intentionally conflated. Um, we're we're taking a term that was once unifying and once represented something that we all embraced as common ground and something that we could express joy in collectively as a people has been turned into a weapon. They take this bad word, nationalism, and they take all of the negatives that have been associated with that in the past, and they've applied it so that when people hear the term patriotism, which is an entirely different thing, they automatically think that they are talking about the same thing. And, um, and it, again, I feel that it has been an intentional weaponization in regard to conflating the two terms. Yeah. Because really, yeah, go ahead. patriotism is about love of country, right. period. It's right. about what unites us as people of the same country. Um, whereas, and, and to be a patriotic American really is to appreciate our nation's history, our Judeo-Christian values, and our commitment to freedom and liberty. But even this is labeled by many nowadays as racist because they automatically tack on the label nationalism when people see any demonstration of patriotic spirit, standing for the national anthem, singing a patriotic song, whatever. It's simply not the same thing. And again, the manipulation and bastardization of language is uh, to instill fear and division is an extent, to an extent that I find terrifying, actually. You know, this, this kind of hit me in an odd way a few years back. I was uh, with someone uh, that I I take to be uh, this person would probably describe themselves as a liberal and um, I was having lunch and this person turns to me and says Seth do you consider yourself to be a patriot Mm. and I said well sure don't you (laughs) And, and this person said well I don't know I mean it seems to me that it might not be something you want to brag about, and mm. our station is called the Patriot. Just the it's Patriot, got its own, right. yeah. And <laughs> and I said, well, all a patriot is is someone who loves your country. Aren't you a patriot? And this person said, well, I guess so. I, I haven't thought of it that way before. Now, what was so interesting to me about that conversation, Don? We're talking to Don Duran, author Duran, author of a recent Patriotism: Critical Thinking and Civic Duty in an Age of Polarization. What was so interesting to me about that, Don, is somewhere, somehow, the eons-old, centuries-old definition of patriotism eluded this person, and something that had, if the word is weaponized, or something corrupted over the last five years is what became the definition for this person, and I fear too many other people, too. Yes, yes, absolutely, and I do agree I do believe that it is a weaponization or a bastardization, if you will. You know, people, I've only recently become really awakened to the the influence of the postmodern movement in what we're experiencing today as a culture. And in homeschooling my sons, actually, in my 10th grader this year, we're learning about, we're reading a lot about postmodernism. And one of the keys of it 
is language. And it's intentionally shifting language so that they can use something that people are familiar with and on a dime flip it so that it means something bad and they can use it to promote their own narrative. And I think that that's exactly what's happened with patriotism and nationalism because they're not even teaching love of country or civic duty in our schools anymore. They're not merely failing to teach patriotism. They're promoting open disdain. So what better way than to instill fear and hatred due to just this, the, the, the completion of these terms? The interesting thing is it's running in two different directions, or maybe it's a tree that's being but being being attacked by fires from two different um, from two different angles, because you think about the word patriotism, patriotism, you think about the word nationalism. On on the one hand, yes, we have corrupted or as you say, bastardized what patriotism means. Yes, on the one hand, on the other hand, we've weakened. I think vitiated what it means in some respects. When the last time you heard our president invoke a patriotic mm. duty, it was to wear a mask. That was your patriotic <laughs> duty. It, it, he said it yeah. routinely. I thought that was that was a weak thing. And then on the nationalism side, you have um, you have a political movement that likes to label conservatives as being not nationalists but white nationalists. They insert yep. a phrase "white" in there, an adjective or a descriptor or prefix. That no conservative I know, and I would gather uh, right. no conservative you know has ever used the word white or put the word white in front of it, nor thinks that way. And then one more thing has been this effort that, at for example, athletic events to have two national anthems mm-hmm. so that, you know, any notion of one nation or any notion of a national anthem or any notion of nationalism is also completely watered down. I'm, I, I gave a lot to you there, and I have to take a quick commercial break. Would you mind talking a little bit about those things with me when we come right back? Absolutely. Thanks. Thank you. I am uh, joined and uh, delighted to have as a guest Don Duran, D-U-R-A-N. Her book, A Recent Patriotism, Critical Thinking and Civic Duty in an Age of Polarization, uh, just out. Uh, you can get it uh, on Amazon or wherever you prefer to buy your books. Don Duran and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. I am joined by Don Duran, D-A-W-N is her first name, last name Duran, D-U-R-A-N. Her new book, A Reasoned Patriotism, Critical Thinking and Civic Duty in an Age of Polarization. Don, yeah, so it's it's a weird thing we've done, as we were saying just before the break, with patriotism and nationalism. We've changed the meaning of nationalism, or at least the way we talk about it, or at least many po- political uh, actors have to insert the word white in front of it to make it, I suppose, a bad thing or a worse thing or a racial thing. And Mm -hmm. on the other hand, we seem to be confused about what one nation under God is. We seem to be confused about what Lincoln was speaking about at Gettysburg or what we do with a national anthem. And on the word patriotism, right, we've we've weaponized that as well as cheapened it um, to mean not 
I don't know, doing ordinary civic duties, but uh, raising a flag, uh, loving your country, uh, following the laws, contributing to uh, to uh, to efforts to defend the country, but to such things as the patriot standing for the Pledge of Allegiance. <laughs> as our president, only time he has used the word patriotism and what patriotic duty to wear a mask. It just seems like a, a weakening of its meaning in both directions. It's either a weakening or a or an over um, what an over, uh, an overstating uh, a, a toxifying of it, if you will. Yes, absolutely, and it's it's despicable because patriotism, as we've mentioned, is something that is a healthy love for one's country. It's something we should all share. One of the things that makes America great and why people still are flooding the borders to gain entry to this country is because it still remains the land of opportunity, and it's always been seen as a melting pot, right, right? Right. We are no longer a melting pot. We have become very tribalist, which it's no wonder that we have so much polarization when we're focused on the things that make us different rather than embracing the things that we have in common. And one of the people I quote in my book a lot, I was so thrilled to dive into this speech. You heard it before. It's Teddy Roosevelt's Man in the Arena, mm-hmm. arena mm-hmm. speech. But I didn't know the original title to it. The real title to it is called Citizenship in a Republic. Right. And he's delivering this speech in France. From Paris. That's right. Pro- That's right. Yes. Yes. And he is promoting the importance of patriotism and the idea that we cannot be good neighbors on a global scale until we first love our country. And in fact, he goes so far as to say, the person who says they know, owe no allegiance to any country because they're a global citizen is someone to be feared above all else. So patriotism as our uniting factor is for centuries, until five minutes ago, as you mentioned, um, lauded as something that we should all embrace. But now it is seen in two extremes. It's seen by some as those of us who are white nationalists who (laughs) are using love of country to um, promote an agenda that is imagined on their behalf. And then on the other half is people who have absolutely no love for their country, who have open disdain for it, see nothing of value in it, and what's lost is the middle. We have very few people in the middle anymore. It's so polarized. And we need to get back to the middle. We need to find that common ground and and return to the understanding of what actual patriotism is rather than what it's being painted as, whether it's putting on a mask as your uh, patriotic duty or whatever else they're saying these days. Yes, and I think it's related to this whole point you draw out in your book, Don, um, really even in the subtitle, uh, 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 well, the main title, sorry, I was looking at uh, uh, your table of contents, but the main title, A Reasoned Patriotism. Ronald Reagan spoke of an informed patriotism when he was leaving the Oval Office in 1989, and it seemed to me... What you just said explains everything because there's this effort taking place at the same time here to kind of, shall we say, uh, devalue America and American history and turn 
um, an appreciation or an informed understanding of our history into kind of a a, a very a very revised and corrupted one. We are not a good country. Yeah. We are a country that should be ashamed of itself. You see this, for example, with the 1619 Project. Oh, goodness. Right? Yeah. So our yeah. founding is not equality and liberty, as everyone knew until, again, four years or five, five years ago. ago. Yep. <laughs> but it's some other year we'd never heard of that makes us a country founded on slavery. So once you have... I suppose that corruption of the understanding of our history, you can turn this thing into a place to be ashamed of. That's, I think, somewhat going on here, too, isn't it? I I agree. And it's so dishonest. Can I share with you a statistic that I learned recently that totally blew my mind? Sure. My husband and I were on a second honeymoon in Charleston, South Carolina, where I had the great blessing to live for eight years of my life as a college and, and PT student. And we went on a historical tour of Charleston because I love learning about history. And we took a tour with a history professor. And as the tour ended, obviously you cannot talk in a place like Charleston uh, about history without mentioning slavery. And the the tour guide told us that in the Atlantic slave trade, 12.5 million slaves were taken from Africa, and 10.7 of them arrived in North America to then be distributed to wherever they were going from there. Mm-hmm. Do you know, could you guess how many of the original 12 million slaves remained in uh, in North America, period? Any guess? Out of how many, 12 million? Out of 12 million. Uh, I, I do have a guess, but it's going to betray an ignorance here, and the guess is going to be two or three million. Okay, well, that's lower than many people would guess, isn't it, based on what we're told in society, society today, isn't it? Yeah. My guess would have was going to be even higher when he, he asked us the same thing. 800,000 okay. Okay. of the 12 million okay. remained in North America. Of the 800,000, only 350,000 of those were in British colonies, okay. because that also included French and Spanish colonies at the time. Right. So that means, even though slavery is a unique sin to the United States of America, we kept such a small portion of the slaves from the whole slave trade. The rest went down to South America and to the Caribbean. I have to take another break. Let me pick up on that very point with you, Don. I was talking about a version of that argument yesterday, um, or the argument uh, about about, uh, the impact of slavery on American history just yesterday. Let me pick up on that. I'm glad you did that with us. Uh, Don Duran is our guest. Her book, A Reasoned Patriotism, Critical Thinking and Civic Duty in an Age of Polarization. She and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Don Duran is our guest, D-A-W-N-D-U-R-A-N. Her book, A Reasoned Patriotism, Critical Thinking and Civic Duty in an Age of Polarization. We were talking about the degraded state of patriotism here and this issue that, you know, through the corruption of our history, you can train children to think poorly about America. Through the accurate teaching of our history, you can teach people to put America in its right perspective um, which was the perspective Lincoln had it when he called it the last best hope 
of Earth. And Don, you were making this interesting point in statistic, uh, numerical teaching to us about the um, the, the literal enormity uh, of, of 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 the slave trade here in America and how many or in the in 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 our in our hemisphere and, and how many slaves Americans had. And the point I was uh, raising with the audience a little bit yesterday is that to the left that wants to downgrade and depreciate uh, the American story, uh, American history, um, they want us to think that, in a sense, all we are is a slaveholding or all we were was a slaveholding republic. And I made a slightly different point than your numerical one. I wonder what you think of it. It's an odd thing from the left that we're getting. 1619 Project, uh, Ibram X. Kendi is part of this. Uh, the uh, Robin DeAngelos are part of this, the white fragility crowd. Um, and it's that – how do I put this? Their view of American history and the American founding is really the view – that you get from the Confederacy and their view of the American founding. Yes. Their history is yes. Roger Tawney's history from the Dred yes. Scott decision. Their view is as if the South won the Civil War. Their view is as if the South had more states than the North, it had half as many, or as if the population of the South was greater than the North, it was about four times as less. In other words, the majority of this country was not slaveholding, and the majority of this country fought the, the the part of this country, the smaller part of this country that was over that issue and won. And you would never know it if you listened to the Nicole Hannah Joneses of this of, of, of our time. That's the point exactly. I was going to make. Exactly. It, it's plus, a weird thing that, that the losers – usually we say the victors get to write the history. <laughs> Here the right, losers no. are trying to get it, you know, write it. In, in this case, absolutely. You are absolutely right. And we can even relate this – to something that was very recent, and I know you spoke about this yesterday on your program as well, the affirmative yep, ruling yes, right. from um, from the Supreme Court right. and Clarence Thomas's, yes. uh, <laughs> oh my goodness. Invaluable that, history yeah. lesson, yeah? Amen, amen. And it, it really is, it, it perfectly exemplifies the point you just made, as if we thought the... Con- <laughs> The Confederacy was was the winning side. That is so true. And um, the other point, too, is it's so overlooked that it was conservatives, it was Republicans yes, right. who put an end to slavery. As right. Well. By it's redounding to our founding documents, not from 1619, but from 1776. Amen. And it's very convenient to forget these facts, mm-hmm, right? Yes. And unfortunately, they're quite vociferous mm-hmm. in the in the fact that they do want the American uh, public to 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 believe, and unfortunately, not only do they think less of the very people they're trying to elevate in terms of the black population, but they think less of all of us. Yeah, they think that we are so ignorant that we're unable to recognize truth, and sadly, in some cases, that is the case because of you know being infiltrated with media constantly and not having developed critical thinking skills and being a discerning citizen, which is our duty. Um, it's very it's very frustrating. You know, it's a funny thing. We just, in the last segment and a half or two segments, Don, gave a lot of history. Maybe a lot of people don't know. Um, 
and yet we're the ones being criticized for wanting to excise or bury our history. Um, right. let, let me let me let me run this this thought by you too about the sixteen nineteen project because I think the real element here to recovering patriotism does begin. Uh, with our schools, um, with our education system, the kind of stuff Bethany Mandel's book series is about, as well as yeah. what you're writing about in your book here, book titled uh, Reasoned Patriotism, Critical Thinking and Civic Duty in an Age of Polarization. Can we come back on the other side of this break and talk about our elementary and secondary education and how they have... Oh, okay, good. I didn't think it was a tough question for you. <laughs> kind of rhetorical. I'll be right back. Don Duran is our guest, D-A-W-N-D-U-R-A-N. Her book, A Reasoned Patriotism, Critical Thinking and Civic Duty in an Age of Polarization. Don Duran is our guest. Her book is A Reasoned Patriotism, Critical Thinking and Civic Duty in an Age of Polarization. And boy, folks, uh, just the chapters, patriotism versus nationalism, a reasoned patriotism, citizenship on a democratic republic, a covenant and a creed, freedom and duty, living history lessons in a Charles Mason homeschool, the family, critical. Th- you want this book. <laughs> it's got everything you, you, you want to teach your children as well as perhaps yourselves, but it's the teaching of our children, Don, that I have been so obsessed over lately. Um, Nicole Hannah-Jones, who is the creator of the 1619 Project, she tells the story, she writes an essay that she grew up in a house where her dad, a Vietnam vet, flies the flag, American flag, proudly in their front yard and takes, you know, the exquisite and exquisite care of it, replacing it even when it, you know, becomes somewhat tattered. Mm -hmm. And, 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 so he's he's a Vietnam vet. She's, I think, probably, I don't know how old you are. I think she's a little younger than us, I'm guessing, somewhere in our age range, though, I'm yeah. guessing. And so she, she says she comes home from school one day and tells her dad to take the flag down and that she learned in school that it doesn't represent them. And the thing I'm thinking of, she's kind of proud of this story, and the thing I'm thinking of is here is a, an African-American man who fought for this country, wore the uniform of this country, and it never dawned on him to think that way. But right. she, as a young elementary school student, learns in her school to make him think that way. And to me, that's the whole story of our problem right now, frankly. And by the way, he would have grown up and fought in a much more, shall we say, unfortunately, much more segregated or racist society. The 60s just were, you know. Yeah, yes, absolutely. Uh, You know, in addition to the wonderful book series uh, Heroes of Liberty that Bethany is the editor of, her book, Stolen Youth, talks very much about the fact that part of the left's goal is to indoctrinate our children and make turn them into little child soldiers. And this is what has been opened to my eyes this year. I know I've always heard people talk about the long march through the institutions, and I, you know, had that in the back of my head, but it wasn't until I started diving more deeply into postmodernism this year that I thought, and we are dealing now with the fruit of something that has been sowed, it was sown decades ago, and has been fed regularly ever since. And yes, you're right, one of the one of the things that they're teaching our children from a very young age is that there's absolutely nothing redeeming right. about our nation. We cannot listen. If you take the approach to history of focusing on the negative first, are you ever going to get to the point that you want to even learn what to 
appreciate about your country, that's the completely opposite approach. When children are small, they do not have the nuanced thinking that we do in our teen years and in our adult years. So when they are young, this is one of the things I love about the Charlotte Mason philosophy of education, which is the basis basis of our homeschool. Mm-hmm. Her approach to history is that you begin in the younger years with hero tales that inspire children right. to learn what is good and great about their nation. Sure. And then as they mature and gain experience, we can introduce them to the more difficult topics and the areas in which our country has demonstrated its flaws. But even then, the topics are presented in a very balanced manner. It doesn't whitewash the facts to cover over the difficult parts, nor does it impose a narrative with a heavy hand. But today, all we have is narrative and ideology with a heavy hand, feeding, pushing down throats, and not offering any alternative. Yeah, I used to say that the teaching of America, Madison, James Madison said we should be loving critics. I used to say the appropriate teaching of America is teach America warts and all. What the left has done is just warts and that's all. So what you and Bethany are talking about, it seems to me, is that we're starting the students with critical thinking um, in, in the in the academic in the in the academic sense, pedagogical sense yes. of that word critical. We're starting them with a critical interpretation of the country, like critical race theory or critical legal studies or so forth. So they don't have the foundation in the first place in which they know what and how to criticize. They don't have the first foundation. You can't criticize something that you don't have a foundation of. We've robbed them of their foundation. And I do think we have used children. This goes back all the way. I mean, some Hannah Arendt wrote in the 50s, in 1950s, she wrote that the, the, the progressive view of education is to have adults' political games be played out in the schoolyards of our children. And I think she was way ahead of her time, except it's not the schoolyards, it's the school's classrooms. It is, absolutely. And you said it right when you said we've robbed them. Yeah. We have robbed them of the experience of knowing what's good and great, of sharing in what generations before have shared who were proud to serve their country and to serve in such a way that they they selflessly laid down their lives for, for our freedom so that people today could teach the ridiculous way that they're teaching today, and to do so with, you know, unflinchingly. Children today don't even have the imagination to to consider that they might live a life of service to someone else right. without getting something out of it themselves. That's right. That's right. And there's a conceit here, too, isn't there, Don? I don't want to speak for you, but, um, you know, we, 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 we are informed or too many of us pretend like we grew up ignorant of our country's sins, whether it was <laughs> sli- right. I mean, we grew up with history textbooks written yeah. mostly by FDR Democrats, people's names like uh, Henry Steele Commager or Arthur Schlesinger. I know all this stuff. I know yeah. all this stuff before Nicole Hannah-Jones had to throw it in my face as if I didn't. I knew it before she probably did. Yeah, didn't you? Did, it's you know not what? as if we I- whitewashed any of this. No, we didn't. But it is so much more flashy to sensationalize yeah. it and imagine that it's been wiped under the rug. Right. And she's the first person to yeah. reveal it to us. Right. Right. And then excise the other parts that counterbalance it. Yeah. Yep, that's right. Well, you have done um, my audience and me a great service, and uh, you have done your audience a great service with this book, Don. I hope we can stay close, and this can be a down payment for repeated visits. 
I would love that, Seth. It's been a pleasure to talk with you. That's really nice to hear. Thank you. Let me give you one more plug of your effort here. Dawn Duran, D-U-R-A-N, last name, her book, A Reasoned Patriotism, Critical Thinking and Civic Duty in an Age of Polarization. Uh, Have a great holiday, Dawn, and thank you for your service to our country. You betcha. You betcha. I am Seth Liebson. I'll come back with a final thought. Folks, you think about uh, all the challenges we face, including economic, from bank failures to stock market volatility, a recession, inflation, and you ask, where, um, where do you go to invest? Why, re- why Refi has an answer. It's an investment in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return that's not correlated to the stock market or the Federal Reserve. It's a portfolio where you'll know what each monthly statement will look like with no surprises. You can turn your monthly income on or off, compound it, whatever you like with no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. There are no fees in this secure collateralized portfolio from Y-Refi, which is based here locally, headquartered here locally. I encourage you to stop by their offices on Scottsdale Road and the 101. I've been there, and I can tell you that you will not get a sales pitch, and no one's going to ask you to sign a thing. But when you do meet with the team at Y-Refi, you'll see why I trust them and like them so much, and you can too. Y-Refi is a due diligence approved firm, and you can earn up to a 10.25% fixed rate of return. That's right, 10.25% fixed rate of return. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com, or give them a call at 888-YREFI-34. That's 888-YREFI-34. You think about patriotism and love of country, and I do think we've gone off on a seriously bad track in understanding what it means to love your country. One of the greatest speeches Abraham Lincoln ever gave was a eulogy of his hero, Henry Clay. And he said, Mr. Clay's predominant sentiment from first to last was a deep devotion to the cause of human liberty, a strong sympathy with the oppressed everywhere, and an ardent wish for their elevation. With him, this was a primary and all-controlling passion. Subsidiary to this was the conduct of his whole life. He loved his country, partly because it was his own country, but mostly because it was a free country, and he burned with a zeal for its advancement, prosperity, and glory, because he saw in such the advancement, prosperity, and glory of human liberty, human right, and human nature. He desired the prosperity of his countrymen, partly because they were his countrymen but chiefly to show to the world that free men could be prosperous. Is there a better way to describe what patriotism is? It's not the love of any country, particularly or necessarily. That's more what you get from a nationalism that is forced upon you. That's what you get from a dictatorship that tells you that it brooks no such thing as dissent that may even, going back to the first issue in our show today, coerce your beliefs and your statements. It's the love of a country because your country does objectively good things for its people and for others. That's what Lincoln was getting at. We've moved so far from that. It is our task to discover for the first time, if we haven't before, or rediscover once again those forces of composition that need, if we are going to survive, to fully outweigh the forces of decomposition that are being thrust upon us. Have a great weekend, folks. We'll see you Monday. I'm Seth Liebson. He's David Dahl. Bill says goodbye, too. 
Until Monday, God bless you all. I'm Seth, and class is dismissed. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.